0: And welcome to the City Grace Podcast. We're so happy you've decided to join us today as we learn how amazing it is to follow Jesus. Enjoy the message. And and today I kind of want to give a message that might be kind of a standalone message, but I think if we can kind of dive into what I want to talk about today, it, it can kind of set up um, you know, set the tone at least for this series that I'm going to do, um, because we are and we do live in the richest country in the world, right? But it doesn't always feel that way, does it? Anybody broke in the house? Can I see a hand? Going? No, you guys are too broke to raise your hand. Some of y'all can't even afford to pay attention this morning. Hello. But we're, 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 we feel broke a lot of times, but did you know there's about six billion people in the world who are brokeer than you, Think about that. Think about that. You're so blessed to live in this country. We are so blessed to live in this country. And if we were to, to see them and talk with them, I mean, most of them don't have enough food. Most of them sleep in, in, in shelters. Some of them, most of them don't have electricity or running water, no transportation, no communication, no education. I'm talking the poorest of the poor in our world. And, like, we'd have to, you know, have a conversation with them and complain about how the lady at Starbucks always spells our name wrong on our cups, right? It's just... Like it's just not even, you know, something that we need to think about really. And, and probably if we were to kind of go around the room and take a general consensus and ask, you know, well, well, what do those six billion people besides us, you know, who are maybe poorer than us, what do they need to be happy or maybe be at peace? The answer at first might seem like, well, think, what they need is they need more money. But here's the thing. You have more money than them. We have more money than they do. But some of us um, aren't very happy about our financial situation. Some of us aren't very much at peace with our financial situations. And, and so it turns out that as we talk about this idea of, of gratitude this morning, it turns out that the answer to financial struggle isn't necessarily getting more finances, Because we have more finances than probably around 6 billion people in the world, and yet some of us still don't feel peace, don't feel contentment, don't feel happiness when it comes to our financial situation. And so there needs to be something beyond just getting more money. There has to be kind of a thinking shift in money in in itself, and as a concept kind of needs to look different, to feel different. It needs to affect us a little bit differently. And so Today I want to start um, with an idea that I I think might end up foundational to kind of a better way forward, a God way forward when it comes to finances and giving and that kind of stuff. And so that's kind of the teaser to set up the series for next week. I want everybody to come back and, and, you know, who knows, maybe bring a friend as well. But as as we kind of think about this idea of gratitude and ingratitude and having having enough or not having enough... Anybody ever done something special for somebody else, and the other person just like didn't even seem to notice, right? Yeah, <laughs> careful husbands. <laughs> you know, you you prepped, you planned, right? It was something handcrafted, you put thought into it, you put money into it, you put time into it. Guys, you did the dishes, you vacuumed the living room that one time last year, right, and you're so proud of that, right? You're so happy about that. And she just doesn't even notice. She doesn't even notice, right? And, 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 or maybe it was at work, right? Maybe you stayed late. Maybe you volunteered. Maybe you covered for someone. Maybe it's with family. With family, that, you know, that sometimes takes a lot of grace, right? And you, you tried again. You invited them over. You gave to them. You cooked to, for them. You know, you forgave them and tried to move forward. And it seems like the other person just doesn't even notice, There's no acknowledgement. There's no thank you. There's no smile going on, right? Once that happens and once you experience that, now think about it. Does that tend to make you more or less motivated to value that relationship? More or less motivated to kind of pour yourself back into that action or that that relationship or that kind of thing? It is actually subtracted from that relationship, right? When you do something for someone and, and it just doesn't even get noticed, it actually takes away From what you're living in and what you're experiencing. It lowers the value. And so this one word that we're going to talk about, it's amazing to me. It can really do damage in a relationship. And it's this word right here, ingratitude. Ingratitude can actually do damage to relationships. To relationships. And, and, and this one hurts us, right? This one causes us to, to build walls sometimes in relationship. This one, this word causes us to kind of disengage and, and withdraw from relationships because it's the opposite of what we think we deserve. Because we gave to them, so don't we deserve something in return? Hello. You covered for them. Don't you deserve something in return? Anybody know what I'm talking about where you think they owe me one, right? They owe me something. You gave to them. It wasn't acknowledged. You raised them, right? Yeah. You married them. Oh, There we go. You were God's favor and blessing to them, right? Everything seems to be going their way. Nothing seems to be coming back your way, and it can hurt on a very real level. It can hurt sometimes in gratitude, and ingratitude can be words said or words not said. Ingratitude can be expressed or found in things that are done or maybe not done, and if we're honest, we've all been on both sides of the line when it comes to gratitude and ingratitude, and here's the thing. When someone is ungrateful or seems ungrateful, the hurt person the one that doesn't feel like anything came back to them, they're always aware of that ingratitude, aren't they? They're just living with it. They're walking with it. Their face shows it every time you show up, right? The the hurt person is always aware of the ingratitude, but the quote-unquote ungrateful person is rarely aware. Hello, husbands. (laughs) I I, I I gotta get off the husband thing because it seems like it's touching a nerve this morning. Maybe just go on, right? And it just out of nowhere, the other person can kind of say, Well, I just don't feel like you appreciate me. I don't feel like you see all that I do and all that I've done and all that I've given. And here's the thing: if you ever get called out on it and someone says you're ungrateful, someone brings up your ingratitude, what do you say? Well, that's not true. I am grateful. I am thankful for all that you do, right? I do feel grateful, and we are grateful, and we do feel grateful. But there's a disconnect there somewhere. Somehow, something went sideways, and now it's kind of like this splinter in the relationship, and it's festering, and it's just there. And, and, and this is a huge thing as we kind of head into the holidays and head into November and Thanksgiving and Christmas and all that. This is a huge thing with family. This is a huge thing with your relationships at work, with your boss or your coworkers, those kinds of things. If you're a teen or a young adult, this is a huge thing with your parents. Parents with, with young adults and teen kids, like this is a big thing, right? And even here in church, this is a big thing when it comes to your relationship with God. Now, this is a really important idea. The gratitude and ingratitude can actually influence the direction and the health of our relationships. Gratitude or ingratitude can actually influence the direction and the health of our relationship. It influences how much of yourself you continue giving. It influences how much the ones that you love continue giving to you. So this is a huge relationship concept. Gratitude or ingratitude can heal a relationship and grow a relationship, or they can make a relationship stale and damage a relationship. And again, especially, and maybe here this morning we kind of bring it into focus in a church context, even in our relationship with God. There's an example from Jesus's ministry that I kind of want to bring out and share with you this morning, and and I'm going to share that story. And today, by the time we're done, I'm going to share that story I'm going to share with you something that's not in that story. I'm going to give us an application, and then I'm going to give us a little bit of time at the end to kind of come up together and show some gratitude to God before we leave here this morning. So this story is found in what we call in the New Testament the book of Luke. And Luke was a a man who lived around the time of Jesus, um, or certainly during the time of Jesus, and then was kind of on the scene and a Christian after the time of Jesus' public career. And, And I like Luke. And the reason I like Luke is because he was like us. He wasn't Jewish he didn't grow up in this. He didn't grow up with all of the, the privileges and the knowledge that the Jewish young men grew up with that followed Jesus. Um, he was a little bit skeptical even. And and you know, he wanted to trust what he had heard about Jesus. And so Luke was a physician, he was a doctor at one time and Then he kind of made a career shift and he kind of became what we might call an investigative journalist. And he went around talking to all of the people that knew Jesus and had experienced interactions with Jesus and and even had miracles done to them by Jesus to kind of write down all of these eyewitness accounts of the things that happened during Jesus' time on earth. So I think this is fascinating that as we read this story, we get to kind of read a first century account from a, what he, who became like a historian for all of us to, to kind of find out what happened and what Jesus said and what the effect was in all of these kinds of things. So we find this in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke. In Luke chapter 17, starting at verse 11, it says, Now, on his way to Jerusalem... Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And if you look at a map, Galilee is kind of like, almost like what we would call a county up at the top. And then there's Samaria in the middle. And then there's Judea down at the bottom where the city of Jerusalem was. And, you know, there were Jewish people in in the top county and Jewish people in the bottom county. But in that middle county of Samaria, there were Samaritans. And you have to know this as, as we look into the story. Jewish people did not like Samaritans. There was a lot of history there. There was a lot of racial tension there. It was kind of the Samaritans were Jewish people who had mixed in with Jewish enemies, if you can imagine that. So they felt, uh, the Jewish people felt like the Samaritans were betrayers of their their nationality and their, their kind of family status. There was religious tension between them because Samaritans had their own take on the Jewish religion. It was like this festering family feud. So this is an important piece to the story because of who. The people in the story are, right? Jewish people never expected any Samaritans to do any good thing. And so Jesus is on the border between a Jewish territory and the Samaritan territory. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him there. So it's important to know where he was because it turns out, and Luke's going to tell us in a little bit, at least one of these men who had leprosy was a Samaritan. So the Jewish audience, to Luke's writing, did not expect anything good to come out of these 10 leprous men. And leprosy, in those days, it was a serious, serious disease. And you see this kind of throughout the New Testament. Um, The people in the first century were scared to death of leprosy, and, and probably rightly so. They had no real cure, no real vaccination, or any kind of thing like that against leprosy. They thought it highly contagious, and it is passed from person to person, but maybe not as contagious as they feared. And, and leprosy is just a brutal, it's a brutal disease, and it damages the nerves and the respiratory system, and of course the skin. And people who have leprosy or contract leprosy, often they will lose their eyesight. Uh, more commonly, when we think of people who have leprosy, we think of them losing their extremities, right? Fingers kind of fall off, noses and toes and ears, and, or lepers would actually injure their extremities. And because their nervous system was damaged, they wouldn't even know they were injured. And so the injury would get, you know, it would become infected and fester and eventually just, you know, whole body parts and limbs would have to be amputated or the person would just eventually die. And so lepers, it, it was a dangerous thing and they would actually be banished from the villages where they lived, banished from their homes, banished from their villages, put on the outskirts of cities back in those times when cities had walls. They could not be part of the community, could not be part of the city, kicked out of their homes. Can you imagine that? You contracted disease through no fault of your own, and suddenly you have to leave home, leave the city. Can't go back to work, have no resources, have nothing. Nobody wants anything to do with you. They couldn't worship in the village synagogues anymore, couldn't gather with other people of faith. They had to ring a bell or shout out a warning whenever they came close to anyone, letting them know that they had this disease. And then people back then kind of thought, well, you know, God's punishing lepers. God doesn't like lepers. Surely they did something to deserve their disease. So not only is there just like physical and actual rejection and kind of being put outside the camp, but there's this emotional and psychological damage and the rejection and the isolation that they felt. Lepers were always, always reminded that they just weren't wanted, And so they would find other lepers, and they would create these leper colonies, leper societies. And here, in this story, we see ten lepers who live together in rejection, and not just being rejected by the Jewish people because they were Samaritans. Now they're, they're rejected by the Samaritans themselves. They're the outcasts of the outcasts, completely in isolation from everybody else. And they hear that Jesus is coming, and they go to meet Jesus because they hear from other people that Jesus can heal anybody of anything. So they go to Jesus. But they know they can't run up and scare Jesus off, right? So they stand at a distance and they call out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. They don't want to scare Jesus off. They know he's a good guy. They think he's a good guy, but their appearance maybe wasn't, you know, the most inviting or welcoming. They're worried about him not wanting to get close to them. And there are some rules that people had made to keep them apart anyway. And so they're, they're staying a little bit away. But I want to make sure that he sees me. And we kind of get this, right? When it comes to church, when it comes to Jesus, when it comes to, to God, right? There's some damage that exists in our lives. There's some things in our lives that are broken, some relationships that aren't what they should be. Some things in our lives are actually to the point where they've just kind of gone numb, some relationships, some areas and and arenas of life where there's just something diseased, something infected, right? There's this thing that I can't seem to kick. There's this thing that hurts every time I touch it. Something's broken. Something's missing. And so what do we think in those times? We think, well, let me try God. Let me just send up a prayer and see if anybody's listening, right? Let me get somebody's attention who I've heard from other people can help. But you're not even sure that God wants to see you in your present condition. Hello, somebody that's made the journey. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever had those fears? You're not even sure God wants to hear you. When you pray, it seems like your words go up and hit the ceiling and bounce right back. You're not even sure that God is listening. And so sometimes we'll stand at a distance and kind of shout out towards heaven. Heaven, hey, is there? if there's anybody up there, help, right? We get it. We get what these lepers We're feeling. We have felt this. Probably most of the people in this room at some time or another at some stage in life have felt exactly what they're feeling. So they call out to Jesus in a loud voice, have pity on us. Now Jesus does what the normal Jesus thing is to do, which Jesus does something that's not normal. That just seems to be Jesus' way. What nobody expects, Jesus does. And so Jesus switches it up. And normally he's walking over and touching people who are sick, doing you know, all this nice stuff, and everybody likes him for that. But Jesus switches it up this time. And when he saw them, so he hears them, he looks, he sees them. They're still way over there. When he saw them, he kind of yells back, Hey, go and show yourselves to the priest. Now, why would he say go show yourselves to the priest? Well, here's the thing. If somehow if by some miracle, if by some, you know, boosted immune system over time, they found that their leprosy was actually in remission or going away, or they had somehow been cured or healed of their leprosy, before they could rejoin the village, before they could go back to work, before they could go back to their wife or their kids or their families, they would have to go to the priest, and the priest would act kind of like a doctor in those circumstances. He'd sit them up, you know, on that crinkly paper, right? They'd have to put on the embarrassing robe with no back to it. Sit up there and it's kind of cold, right? And and then, then you know the doctor comes in and he's gotta kinda of like hit your knee with a hammer, right? To see if it goes up. And you know, he's gotta look in your ears and, and you know tell you to say ah with a popsicle stick and, and all this kind of stuff to see if you're good. And then if he thought that you were you know better, he could say, okay, you can go back home now. So only the priest could give them a clean bill of health to rejoin their family. And Jesus tells them, Well, listen, I want you to go and show yourselves to the priest. He gives them this to do, to do, but here's the here's the catch. They're not healed yet. What do you mean, go show myself to the priest? Larry's still missing a nose, right? Like, what do you mean go show myself to the priest? I can still only count to four. You, wait, three. <laughs> like, you know, what happened here? Like, is this still in me. It's still on me. I'm not any better yet. Why would I go to the priest? You haven't healed me yet. And here's another thing. We don't know where the priest was. Luke doesn't tell us. Maybe Luke never found out. Was the priest close by? Was their priest far away? Did they have to go to a Jewish priest, a Samaritan priest? We don't know. Maybe for them it's two to three days of walking to get to a priest. And that's if they're not missing a significant amount of toes, in which case it might be longer, right? They, 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 I mean, they can't stay in hotels on the way. They can't stop at restaurants. There's no stores to buy groceries. And Chick-fil-A is never open on Sundays. So it's like, I don't know how long or what kind of a commitment this is going to be for me in my condition to leave you, who I've heard can heal me, and go and do this ritual that will make myself able to rejoin my family. I'm only supposed to go see the priest after I'm healed, Jesus. Not sure if you remember how this works. I'm only supposed to go see the priest after everything is fixed. After life is better. After the relationship is put back. But they have to trust Jesus's words. And Jesus, it's so infuriating. Hello? Jesus always seems to work this. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, "God, why?" Right? Why this way? Why can't it be my way? But these men have to trust that somewhere between where I am and where trusting Jesus takes me, something incredible will happen. Hello? We have to trust that somewhere between where we are... And where trusting Jesus will take us, something incredible will happen. And Jesus always makes it this way. Hello, they've never even met Jesus before this. They've only heard about Jesus at this point. And this is why, church family, listen to me. This is why your story is so huge. Your story and your testimony and your background is not insignificant. Hello. From your words and from your experience, new hope can be born in somebody who thinks that their life is ended. Hello. New beginnings can be birthed in someone when it seems like all of their relationships are dead or dying, and they don't think there's any way they're ever going to get back to a normal life. Your story is proof that Jesus can heal. Jesus will heal. He has the power. He has the ability. And if you can get to the point of just trusting him I'm proof that something incredible can happen with Jesus. Mm, Your story your story is so so beautiful and big when it's put into Jesus' hands. And so this is a huge step of faith for these ten leprous men. It's a huge step to to start on a journey of faith with only someone else's stories to move their feet. Wow, that's a huge deal. It's a huge deal. And so these men decide, you know, what do we have to lose except more toes? (laughs) So, So they start walking and they start heading where Jesus told them to go. They start trusting Jesus and they start on the journey to find the priests, and whether it's hours away or maybe even days away, we don't know, miles away in this tough and long walk, as they went, as they went, they were cleansed from their lepros- leprosy. As they walked along, just taking the steps that Jesus had told them to take. Hours later, we don't know. Miles later, we don't know. But at some point, these men started looking at each other and realizing, hey, As we trust Jesus... And as we simply do the simple walking that Jesus has told us to do, we are being transformed on the journey. Hello. And that's the same truth for us. It's as we allow Jesus to influence our path that we begin to see, I am being changed. It's as we take that first step and then that second step of just trusting simply what he asks us to do. No great thing on our own. They didn't work the miracle on their own. They didn't heal themselves. That was all up to Jesus. All they did was take a step when Jesus told them to take a step. And the miracle was up to Jesus. The miracle was never dependent on their own power. But you won't change until you start walking. You won't be healed until you start trusting what he tells you to do. With God, healing does not happen when you stay where you are. He requires this Christian word, this church word we call faith. He requires you to have trust in what he's asking you to do. Stepping out in faith, you got to understand this, it puts the spotlight on God. It turns all of the attention on him. See, if we just did what we could do, If we could fix our situation in our own power, in our own wisdom, in our own understanding, then all of the focus would be on us. And God's trying to get our attention and our focus on Him. So what does He do? He asks us to do things that don't make sense to us. He asks us to take steps that don't require any power or specialness from us because He is trying to get our attention on Him. He's always been trying to get your attention on him. He's been waiting. He's been there patiently while we go through the pain and the chaos of life. And he stands there with healing, and with promise, and with beauty for ashes. And he waits and he waits and he waits for us to simply call out and trust his voice. And now in the story, as these men begin to trust Jesus, as they begin to be cleansed and changed and healed, on their way to do what Jesus told them to do. Now, the story starts to turn toward this idea that we opened with this morning of gratitude and ingratitude, of showing thanks and of not showing thanks. So, as they went, they were cleansed, and one of them, everybody say uno, one of them, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back. Now, all ten of them on the journey realize that they're being healed. And the other nine take off running to the priest. But only one of them doesn't follow the crowd. Only one of them recognizes that the value in what has changed me doesn't lie just in some ritual or some man who can tell me and verify what I already know has happened by Jesus. One realizes that the way communicate The way to access the power of gratitude, to unlock the heart of God, to unlock my relationship, my new reality, my new life forward, the way to that, the way to move forward is actually for me to pause and go back to the one that has healed me, go back to the one that has asked me to trust him. And he realizes the source of his new beginning. He realizes the source of his healing, and so he heads back to the one who made the new beginning possible. So one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. Now think about this. The first time he met Jesus, he was using a loud voice as well, wasn't he? Jesus, have pity on me. Now when he's coming back to Jesus, completely transformed, completely healed, He's using the same voice that he used in his circumstance before. And can I just say that the size of your miracle, the size of your healing, how low we realize we are will determine how greatly we praise God once God begins the, transform, the transforming work in our lives. Whatever it is that you faced before, whatever it is that had you down before, how big you saw that to be, how great you saw that to be will determine the size of your praise and the greatness of your praise when you come back to Jesus. And so the man realizes, I used to make a lot of noise because of my brokenness, but now I'm going to make noise because of my healing. I used to shout towards God because I was hurting, but now I'm going to put praise and shout in my mouth toward God because he has put me back together. And a great God that has done a great work deserves a great praise out of a grateful heart. So he runs back to Jesus. He throws himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked Jesus And as Luke is writing to a Christian audience in the first century who was mostly Jewish, Luke says, guys, you're not going to believe this last part. You guys didn't see it coming. I know you didn't think that any Samaritans could ever do anything good, but guys, this one that came back to Jesus and actually did the right thing, he was a Samaritan. He was a Samaritan. The door has been opened wide by Jesus. And it doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter your race or your color or your wealth or if you came from the right family or came from no family at all. The ones who seem to deserve it the least in our prejudiced eyes seem to get the most out of their contact with Jesus. And it's the same way with us. The ones of us who realize that we deserve His kindness and His grace and His mercy the least we're the most grateful when we're touched by love that is so, so undeserved. So he throws himself at Jesus' feet. Throws himself at Jesus' feet. See, this is what transformation does for you. This is what trust does for you. This is what taking the attention and the focus off of you and putting it on him will do for you. It changes your perspective. It changes your understanding of where life comes from. It changes our understanding and our expectation of where happiness and peace comes from, that it doesn't come from within me because out of me came brokenness. Within me is infection. Within me is disease that has had me bound up in a habit or bound up in an addiction. Within me come these, from within me come these words that always seem to like injure the people I love, do harm to the ones that I'm supposed to be living my life in harmony and in peace with. And it just seems like whenever I become the focus of everything, I can, I just keep seeming to mess things up. But when I put the focus back on Him, when I realize that it's been about Him and His mercy and His grace all along, then I don't care who else is around. My focus is on the one who has done something amazing in my life. And out of that realization of his greatness, out of the realization of my lowness, out of the realization of just how low he has stooped to find me and to rescue me from who and where I was, comes this incredible, incredible demonstration of worship and praise to my Savior. This is the why of worship in our services. This is why we clap our hands like we do. This is why we lift our voices like we do. This is why we lift our hands and wave them around in the air. Hello, come on, somebody finish the line with me. We wave them like... (laughs) Yeah, come on. You guys know what I'm talking about. It's because God has been good to people who were not... It's because God has been so great when I never was. It's because God has given me mercy and kindness undeserved. I know who I was, and I know where I was headed, but he found me like I was. And before I did anything to heal or to change my life, Jesus has given me grace and mercy. And now from gratitude, I lift my voice, I wave my hands, I clap, and I give him praise. Come on, clap your hands a little bit longer this morning. Give him praise and glory and honor. We remember what it's like to have no direction in life. We remember what it's like to wonder why, why we exist, what's the purpose, why, why am I even here, to doubt if there was a God, if those times when we weren't sure anybody was listening, if he even cared about us, but we took a step of trust. And then we, we took another step, and as we realized that the focus was shifting off of us and onto him, we started finding cleansing and healing and transformation, and we were healed. And so now, so now, after the miracle, after the transformation. Now we go back to him. Now we center our actions around him. The one who made new life possible is now first in my life. And so I make it a priority to show my gratitude, just like this leprous man. He made it a priority to show his gratitude. He got his life back, and then he went back to the one who helped him move forward. Once he realized what had been done for him, he went and thanked the one who had done the doing. And then Jesus in this story. See, Jesus is aware of all this. Jesus is like you. When you did that for that someone and they didn't even say anything about it. Jesus acknowledges it. Undone. And so Jesus asks in verse 17, were not all 10 cleansed? I think Jesus is getting a little sarcastic. You guys feel that too? Like, did, did it not work for all y'all? Like, you know, did I only have power for, you know, let me try again, right? Like, like did, did it not happen? You know, and, and then he asks the question that it's just, it's just ouch. It's ouch. He asks, where are the other nine? If I did something for all 10 of y'all, where are the other ones? Didn't all 10 of you get the same treatment? Haven't all of you received the same grace? Didn't all of you get my attention? Didn't all of you receive the same offer of transformation and healing? And what Jesus is saying to them and what Jesus is saying to us is that his part of the story is done. But their part of the story and our part of the transaction is still incomplete. Something is missing. Something's unfinished. Do You guys remember when you were kids and, you know, you go somewhere and somebody would give you something and your mom's there, your dad's there, or somebody's there with you and they, you know, somebody gives you something, you know, you're a kid and you just want to play with a toy or whatever, but mom kind of squeezes your hand or dad squeezes your hand and they say, tell them, yeah, you guys were ungrateful little brats too. I knew it. What do the adults know? Until there is the thank you, the transaction is still incomplete. And except for the flu, everything that is given to us should be responded to with gratitude. We learn this as kids, but as adults, and especially sometimes when it comes to our relationship with God, we forget about this. That God has given all of us the same offer of mercy that God has given every living soul the same offer of grace and of kindness and of access into his presence. That for all of us, no matter the condition we're in and no matter where we come from and no matter how broken we find ourselves, that to all of us there is given the opportunity that if you will stop and if you will call out in a loud voice that he will respond to you. See, he's waiting on you. He's waiting on you. He's waiting on you to show your gratitude. And so he asks, has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he tells the man, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, here's the thing when we read this story. We feel emotions like the parent whose kid didn't say thank you. And we're thinking about those other nine lepers who were cleansed and healed. We're thinking, how ungrateful of them. But see, here's the part that's not in the story. And I bet everybody in this room would probably agree with this. That if we were somehow able to go back in time and and track down those nine other men who were healed by Jesus that day. If we were to track them down and, and ask them, hey, you just got yourself healed from leprosy. Like, your life was ruined You are basically waiting to die a long and slow and painful and isolated death. You just got your life back from Jesus. Aren't you even grateful for what he's done for you? Do you have any gratitude at all for what Jesus has offered to you and done for you simply because you trusted what he told you to do with no payment? You didn't earn it? You didn't buy it. I bet all of us in this room would agree that if we were to find these men, that probably the response would be this well, of course, I'm grateful. Well, of course, I'm thankful for what Jesus did. They weren't ungrateful, they weren't filled with ingratitude at what had been done. Here's the thing about the other nine lepers, and if we're honest today, this is true about some us sometimes as well, that the other nine felt grateful, but they did not express their gratitude. They felt thankful, but they did not give Jesus thanksgiving. They just moved on with life. They just went back to their families, back to their homes, and they might think, and sometimes we even might think, I mean, well, Jesus is a healer. Jesus just heals everybody, right? Isn't it something that just everybody gets? And so maybe it's not really deserving of this kind of response. Is it really that big of a deal? And apparently, yes, it was. Because Jesus asked, where are the other nine who were cleansed? Didn't my power work for them as well, if the musicians could come? Didn't what I offered them have the same effect and ability to transform them as it did this one who has returned. And here's what we know, but maybe have never put into these words before, that not expressing gratitude says that you're not grateful. Not expressing gratitude shows and says and demonstrates to the other person, to the other party in the relationship that you're not grateful. Not yet, Carter. you got to be 12 and sign a membership covenant, and then you can sing. He's practicing. He's auditioning right there. He's like, I can hit those high parts just like my dad. Not like his mom, his dad. But <laughs> not expressing gratitude says something just as much as expressing gratitude does, but it says something different. Not saying thank you for what has been given and what has been offered says something very loudly, very clearly but we don't always think about that part of it. We don't always think about that side of things. And this isn't just a church thing. This isn't just a God thing. This is a relationship thing. This is a marriage thing. This is a parent-child thing. This is an employee-employer thing, right? But yeah, it's a God thing too. It's a creator and creation thing. It's a savior and sinner thing. It's a sick and healed thing. It's a lost and found thing. It's a relationship thing. And gratitude and expressing our gratitude. Gratitude and telling God, thank you for all that He is and all that He has done. It influences the direction and the health of your relationship with your heavenly Father. Hello. It can bring you closer. It can make God seem like He's farther away. And it's not God's part. God's part in the story is already done. God's grace has already been given. Jesus' blood has already been shed on the cross. He offers forgiveness. He offers reconciliation and mercy. When we know, we know. Come on, somebody, we know. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. We'll never have enough money to buy it. But out of simple trust, and something that to a lot of us just doesn't even make sense, he says, if you'll just take this step of trust, if you'll just act like you're already forgiven, if you'll just believe that you've already been extended mercy and grace as you begin to take those steps of trust, one after the other. Nothing supernatural on your part, nothing extraordinary on your part. The focus is not on you. The focus is all on Him. As you go on the way of trusting, you will be cleansed. Be cleansed. Think about the language that we use, at least in English, we call it owing a debt of gratitude. Unexpressed gratitude is something that you owe the other person. You have to finish the transaction. When someone does something for you, the relationship is left in suspension until they get some kind of feedback from you. And so it's not enough to feel grateful. It's not enough to feel your gratitude. You have to express your gratitude. You have to express your gratitude. Now, the trick is you got to find the way that's authentic to you. You got to find the means that is true to you and who you are and how God has made you. And I want to say that here in a spirit-filled church, in a Pentecostal church. I mean, some of us, we're so comfortable. I mean, we've been around this forever. We're so comfortable, like standing up, waving our hands in the air like we just don't. Some of us are so comfortable clapping, singing, shouting out, thank you, Jesus. Sean over there, man. Sean's so loud. I love it, Sean. Don't ever quit. You're all right, man. God made him that way. God made some of us differently than that. And I'm not saying all of our expressions of gratitude have to be the same, but your gratitude does have to be expressed. There does have to come a moment where you acknowledge, God, you have found me like this. And as I trusted your simple words and I took those steps, you've begun changing me into something that I could never find and I could never become on my own. Thank you. Thank you. For more information about City Grace, you can find us online at citygrace.church. We'll see you next week.